And as those guys go out, we're just going to continue in what, what the praise team, what Clay was, was leading us this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians this morning. And I'm just going to, I tell you, I don't get a lot of time in these. I, I, need, to, I need us to slow down a little bit in some of this so we can get, spend a little more time going uh, verse by verse. But uh, anyway, we'll do verse by verse while I'm trying to give you an overview kind of at the same time. Um, we know that Paul wrote several letters, probably four letters to the, to the uh, church in Corinth. Um, we have um, First and Second Corinthians as part of those. Um, but um, let me tell you just really quickly what's going on in Second Corinthians. Paul is writing in response. Let's see, his first letter he wrote, basically he was telling those guys, you don't love each other and it's causing a lot of problems in your church, right? That's basically the extent of, uh, that's basically the theme of First, first Corinthians is you've got divisions, uh, you've got problems, you've got misunderstandings, you've got people who are, who are wanting to exercise their spiritual gifts over other people and they don't care that they're causing disorder and misconduct within your, your services. And uh, he's saying and basically your problem is you don't love each other. All right, <clears throat> and then that's when he wrote the beauty of 1 Corinthians 13 and talks and really explains in, in just beautiful language and really all of, all of literature, whether it's biblical literature or non-biblical literature, um, about the beauty of what love really is. And uh, we talked about that here a couple of weeks ago. And two, while we were out last week, appreciate Clint uh, filling in for me in the pulpit last week. Really appreciate that and everyone else doing their part <clears throat> for us here. <clears throat> I'm really sorry. <clears throat> it's that time of year, isn't it? Anyway, 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to address some problems that continue in the church of Corinth. By the way, if you want to be a good New Testament church, um, boy, they had problems back then. Uh, odd, isn't it, that, that churches would have any problems? Odd that they'd have problems with, uh, with immorality within the church. Odd that they would have problems with divisions and arguments within the church, isn't it? It's been a long couple of thousand years in the church, hasn't it? Because the problems still continue. As long as we are in these bodies, we're going to continue to have these kinds of problems. But um, having said that, let me say, and yet the gospel will triumph, amen? And yet God's truth will triumph over everything, and, and God's love will triumph over even the problems within the church um, as, we, as we continue to struggle just to get along sometimes. But anyway, um, 2 Corinthians, if you would <clears throat> flip over here real quick to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and let me just show you a couple of things here. We're going to end, end up in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but what's happening here in Corinth is amongst all the other problems, and man, Corinth just has one after the other, but one of the problems they have is there are apparently some false teachers who have infiltrated the church in Corinth, and they've, um, they've come with all of these, um, they've come with letters of recommendation about how highly recommended they are, about how smart a people they are, about how wise their teaching is, probably a lot of uh, kind of Judaizers, people who taught um, um, from the Old Testament, taught about the, how we have to stay within the confines of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. And they've come in and basically what it sounds like, so, so they've written a letter to Paul and Paul's kind of responding back to a letter and some things that he's heard about what's going on in Corinth. So a part of what Paul has to do now after he's done all this ministry and all this work and already written, probably written three letters already to the church in Corinth, and he's having to go back now and he's having to defend himself to the people that he's ministered to for, for so long and, and done so much for. But one of the things that you're going to pick up on is that he's talking about the supremacy of the message that he's teaching. He's, going to, he's, he's basically, you're going to hear him say things like, these guys have letters of recommendation. The letters that I have are your changed lives. So you go, go compare that with their little letters. You know, I don't care who, who they're from. Your life was changed by the message I brought, 
right, is what Paul's saying. And then also in, then in, in chapter 3, uh, at the in kind of the middle to, to the latter part of chapter 3, he's going to compare and contrast the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He's gonna, and he's going to say, now Moses went up and he received the law, and when he would receive the law, he came down and his face shone from the glory of God, right? We all know that passage right from the Old Testament where, where Moses came down and, and his glory was, was the, at first it was a little scary, right? People were a little undone and so he covered his face. It also sounds like here in 2 Corinthians what Paul was saying was that part of the other reason that he covered his face was because the glory was fading, right? At one time he'd come down and it was glorious and his face shone, but over time that glory began to fade. And Paul uses that to say that was a sign to you that the, old, that the glory of the Old, of the old Covenant was coming to an end. And God was going to be bringing a new covenant with people in a whole new way. It would be a complete change. It would be completely separate and different from what happened in the old covenant. This covenant would not be built on the sacrifice of animals. It wouldn't be built on the priesthood. It wouldn't be built on worship within the temple. It wouldn't be built on the exclusiveness of God from his people. This gospel would be built, I'm reading a lot into this, more than what's in actually 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but you get where I'm going from, right? This is the glory of the new covenant. This is the glory of the new covenant about the God who came in the midst of people and not separating himself by being in the holy of holies and separated by curtains and walls and more walls and courtyards, right? This is the God who came through the, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, who came, who is the Messiah, and he came into the midst of people. While Trey uh, Andrews was here, um, he's off doing YWAM again in the um, 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 evangelism uh, school right now, and is going to be going to Germany here later this summer, by the way, so we'll be talking about some support for him. But anyway, while he was here, some of the, some of the kids from YWAM this last um, fall had actually gone over to India, and I can't remember the name of the city or the name of the mountain, and I meant to look it all up, but... I forgot. Anyway, they went to this, uh, this particular uh, city in India where, it, where, where there's a mountain that's made of 10,000 steps. And so the people there, and actually people will travel all over the world to the city, and what they do is it's called the mountain of prayer, and they, will, they would ascend the 10,000 steps, and there they would pray to God, but it was part of, that, part of the ascension and the climbing of that 10,000 steps there to be and to meet with God and to pray that they found forgiveness for their sins in their religion. Uh, and the cool thing is, of course, these kids from YWAM say, uh, you know, instead of the God whom you have to go meet and you have to work to go to meet with him and to pray to him, let me tell you about the God who came down from the mountain. Let me tell you about the God who didn't exclude himself from his people but came to be in their midst. And his name is Jesus Christ, and he's the Messiah, and salvation is found in no one else but him. Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, beautiful picture, I thought. Uh, so anyway, in, uh, in, so that's the glory of the new covenant. Is it, it's in Christ, and it's not built on works. It's not built on my ability to be good, right? Because if you haven't read much of the Old Testament, no one ever pulled it off, right? The generation after generation after generation, they all failed. No one could pull off being righteous and holy enough for God. Matter of fact, Jesus shows up on this, in, on the, in the scene in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, you've heard it written, but let me tell you, the extent of the law, right? He says, so you've heard it written, do not commit adultery. I tell you, if you've looked upon a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery already in your heart. He said, it's written, do not be angry. And that, that, is, the, that is the written part of the Old Testament, right? But he says, of the Old Testament law, but he says, but the, it, it's much higher than that. You, the standard is much bigger than you ever imagined because it has to do with not just your actions, but your thoughts and your motives. And here is the standard of the Old Testament. 
Here's the standard of the Old Testament law, and none of us could reach it, and none of us could meet it. And so it's not like you have people who are under the law, and some people are doing it. They're knocking it out. They're getting it all right. They're not lusting. They're not hating. They're not angry, right? And then everyone else, it's not like that. All of us are guilty before God. The glory of the new covenant was God knew we couldn't meet the standard. God knew that we would always fall short. Matter of fact, that's one of, the de- one of the definitions of the word that's used in Greek for the word sin is it's a constantly falling short of the glory of God. It's always it's like shooting a t- at a target with an arrow and you can never quite get there. That is, th- that is what, how sin is defined in the, in the Bible is that we could never live up to God's glory. We could never live up to, to his standard, right? And so the glory of the New Testament said, I'm going to take that away from you. I'm going to meet the, the standards, the requirements of the Old Testament. I'm not taking them away. I'm not blurring my standards. I'm not going to lower the bar for you. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to meet it through the man that I'm sending, and his name is Jesus Christ. And, yeah, okay, I'm giving away a little too much. All right, but anyway, well, that was part of the introduction. Okay, not even, here we go. We've got to get to 2 Corinthians 5. So anyway, he says, so the, the old covenant is fading, right? And he uses that as a, it's a foreshadowing of what's going to be happening with the old covenant that no one really realized, right, until Christ came. But there, there's this foreshadowing of the old covenant fading, just like Moses' face, and, and just in brilliant language here. But man, brilliance of, of Paul and the Holy Spirit writing through him. Um, um, he says, that was, an, that was to show you, that was a sign so that you could see the old covenant was fading. But the new covenant was coming, and the new covenant is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this new covenant, people are being transformed in the new covenant. Tell me where it says that in the Old Testament. Listen, it doesn't. There was no power under, under the Old Testament. Under, right, if, if you just put in, in legalism, if you just put in a whole bunch of standards for, for people to meet, there is no transformation. What needed to happen is there needed to be a change from the inside out of people that had to happen. And you couldn't just lay you know, a bunch of standards on people and say, do better, do better, do better. It never worked. What needed to happen was a change of heart and a change of mind and a change of spirit within the, man, within the, within the person of every man and woman. And it happens in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? There is transformation in the believer. Amen? There's transformation, which, which is great news for me and you. That, that means that these things that we struggle with, and listen, l- let me say this. I love one of the things Matt Chandler says. He says, it's okay to not be okay here because honestly, none of us is okay, right? None of us have gotten through this life without failing, without, without sinning, without having some things that we're really embarrassed about, right? Every one of us is that way, everyone. But the other part, he says, but it's not okay to stay that way. It's not okay to be here and just say, well, you know, that's just how I am. I'm just, you know, I'm just lousy with lust. And, you know, it's just kind of who, I'm, you know, it's kind of my middle name. It's what I do. No, 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 that's not okay. You know, I'm lousy with sexual immorality. No, that's not okay for God's people. Now, now you may come in sexual immorality. You may come in lies and deceit. But when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's going to be transformation. It's painfully slow. Amen. Has it been painfully slow for you? I, I wish it was faster. I really did. I, I, wish it, I, wish, I wish all the sin that I struggle with, and, and there's plenty, all the sin that I struggle with, I wish I could just, just come over and just, Lord, just transform me, you know, like change up my batteries and make me, instead of this, you know, let me be the energizer bunny and just get all this done. But it doesn't really happen like that. And he says, but anyway, he, where am I going? I don't even know. I'm just talking. All right, so um, at the end of, ch- of chapter 3, he says, we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And listen to what he says, with ever-increasing 
glory. Don't you love the comparison? He said the Old Testament is fading. But the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ, ever increasing in glory. And you and I are being transformed to the image of Christ, which I could go on and on about, about how the image of God was lost in mankind at the fall, but is being restored by the work of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and his redemption. But we'll save that for another time. Chapter 4. Okay, chapter 4. Okay, look with me. Uh, let's see. So chapter 4. So, so he's talking about, so he's defending his message. He's defending what he's been teaching in, uh, in chapter 4 and in, in chapter 3, and he's continuing in chapter 4. And he's, he talks about in verse 7. Well, let me back up a little bit. Um, in verse 6 of chapter 4, I don't have this on the overhead. Just look in your Bible or your device there. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, right, right, right on a Genesis, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So what's he saying there? Is that the God who, who, who created light, and he uses this as a beautiful illustration, a beautiful image, says, and God shone that light into your hearts, right? He, he's shown that into your, into your inner man or your inner being so that you would know the knowledge, that you would have the knowledge of the glory of Christ, that you would see, that you would look on Christ and you wouldn't look at it like the History Channel does, right, or the Discovery Channel. It says, oh, yeah, well, he must have been a great teacher. No, 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 no. There's something glorious about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he laid down in his life, that he was not just a man, that he is God. He is the one who was innocent and was punished and took the punishment that you and I deserved on the cross, and that is the knowledge of the glory of God. It is not that he was right, just a man or a good teacher or something else that everyone tries to make him. But the Lord shown that in your hearts. And if you recognize that the Lord Jesus is something more than that, if you recognize that the Lord Jesus is the way for salvation, if you recognize that he represents hope for you for change and transformation, that he represents for you a reconciliation with your heavenly father, that he represents for you a way of forgiveness, the light of the glory of God is shown into your heart. And he's changed you. Amen? He's changed you forever. And so this is what Paul's saying is that my message, here's the message I'm giving you. It's transforming. It's life changing. There's nothing else like it. All that stuff that the, these other guys were teaching in, this, in, in Corinth, he's saying, that's all coming to an end. That's all coming to a close. And it's been replaced by something far greater that's ever increasing in glory. And it has the effect of changing lives. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, and then he goes on in verse 7 of chapter 4, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. Isn't that great? So what does he say? He says, we're common men, right? These men who had carried the gospel to Corinth, he said, we're common, ordinary men with common, ordinary appearances. And he doesn't really say it here, but I think it's uh, in the effect with common, ordinary problems. But inside, there is treasure of the gospel. Inside, there's something that is incredibly valuable. So it's like someone had taken just an ordinary clay jar and have stuffed it with with incredible treasure. And, and, And what Paul's writing here is, what he's saying here is that this is like us, ordinary people. We have an extraordinary message that we've been given. Yeah, you, you too, right? This is not just Paul and his companions and his, and his compadres, right? This is you and I, common, ordinary people. But there's, God has done something on the inside of us that is profound, treasured, beautiful, glorious, powerful. Amen? Amen? Amen. And we will never be the same. 
Amen? Amen. So be it, Lord Jesus. Okay, um, so, uh, yeah, and, and look, what, look at the effect. I, I think this is interesting. This is part of the songs that, that Clay chose today for a reason. Uh, we are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, P- perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Uh, basically what he's saying is, and this has a preserving effect on this. This has a, an encouraging effect on us. This keeps us going, this treasure, this gospel, this message that we've received. It keeps us going. It has an effect on our lives. And man, I have got to get to the sermon now. Oh, man, we've been talking too much. All right. First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's start in verse 11. Okay. So then in chapter 5, he starts, to go, starts talking about, and you know Paul, man, Paul chases rabbits like nobody else. It's hard to keep up on what, what are you talking about here. But anyway, you just got to really read his letters over and over and over again to kind of get where, the, the basic theme. And then you can just say, okay, he's chasing a rabbit here. I just wait, he'll come back, you know. All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he starts talking about our heavenly dwelling and that one day we're going to give up this and we're going to get something much better. Anybody ready for that? Anybody recognize this body wasn't made to last? And You see that yet? Okay, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Turn about 40 or 50, things just start falling apart, don't they? Okay, it's almost like we weren't meant to live forever like this, isn't it? Like maybe God created us to live somehow else, amen? Amen, in, in glory, in, in glorious bodies. Okay, just like Jesus Christ, which we just read right last, a couple of weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 15. But anyway, too many words, too short a time. Since then, let me slow down. We know what it's like to fear the Lord. So what, why does he say that? Just in the paragraph above, he said, there's coming a time that men's works will be judged by God. Now, let me tell you, there's, there's a couple of different kinds of judgment that are talked about in the Scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and then here, Paul's talking about a, not a judgment of people, but a judgment of works, right? So what we believe this means is, is that for you and I as believers, there's going to be a judgment of God of our works, so that he's going to judge, and in 1 Corinthians 3, he basically talks, he says that your work's going to be judged and it's going to be tested by fire, right? Everything that's good, you'll be given a reward. Everything that's chaff, burned up. No, no way no por nada, as they say. Um, and what we are, okay, so since, since, so, and he says because of this coming judgment, apparently is what he's talking about here. Could be talking about something else, but we don't have time for that. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. So here's Paul saying, I'm, I have this ministry, and I'm going to be held. I have this message. It's, it's like in me. It's like I'm a, a clay jar, and it's, I have this message in me that's, that's, that's like a treasure in a clay jar. And, and because it's there and because I know I'm going to be held accountable by God, I work. I try to persuade people. I try to tell them. I try to teach them. That's what the rest of this whole passage is going to be about. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience, right? So he says, yeah, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's plain to your conscience, basically asking them to make, it a, make a decision who they're going to follow um, and, and make a decision about what they think about Paul and, and, the, uh, and his brothers. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are trying to give you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. What's he saying there? I'm trying to give you an opportunity to decide you're going to follow the false teacher or you're going to follow me. You're going to take pride in my message or you're going to take pride in their message. What's it going to be? Which, which, who are you going to follow? Which one, who, who are you going to do so that you can take pride in it, uh, take pride in, 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 uh, in Paul and the message that he's carried to, him, to them? Verse 13, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. Why, why would Paul even say if we are out of our mind? Maybe there have been some of the accusations against him. don't know. It is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Here we go, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. 
And he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 14, beautiful language. Oh, my goodness. So Paul's saying here, what's the motivation for Paul's ministry? Why is it that he goes from place to place? Why is it that he spends hours writing letters to churches? Why is it that he, he won't give up on these people, even though it seems like they'll, man, they'll, every church, it just seems like everyone has problems. It seems like everywhere he goes, there's persecution and trouble. He's imprisoned. He's whipped. He's beaten. Uh, he's shipwrecked. And why does he do it all? Christ's love compels us. The, the word there in Greek can be compels or, or controls us. Basically, what he says is that I saw Christ's love for me and it changed my direction forever. It, it, it changed my motivation for life. It changed everything about me. Actually, just in, in Sunday school this morning, we read about Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. We read about how God came to him specifically. And we remember that, remember that Paul spoke later on in one of his epistles and he said, God saved me as an example to say that me, the chief of sinners, if he can save, if he can forgive me, there is no one he cannot save. His arm is not too short to save anyone. And it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. And it doesn't matter how many times you've fallen. God's grace is sufficient for every one of us. Amen? And it has compelled Paul now. I mean, you talk about a guy with some focus in his life. How about this? How about this Paul with some vision in his life? He knows what he's been called, called to, and his motivation is because he's received Christ's love, and so he shows it by ministering to people to say, you've got to find what I found in him. You, you have to understand this gospel. You have to understand this treasure that I've received from, from the Lord God, and you've got to receive it too. All right. Just a real quick question. So while we're here talking about it, Christ's love resulted in Paul in what? Love for people, right? How about for you and me? How's your love for others? You know, I, I think we all go through times when, when we feel a deeper love for other people, and sometimes we kind of have a waning love for people, and we just want to be left alone, right? Don't want to be bothered. Their phone calls are, are, are interruptive of my life. Their problems are not my problems. I don't want to have anything to do. I've got enough problems of my own. I, I'm so sorry that you're having so many difficulties, but I really don't have time for you. Is that what we're supposed to look like? No, boy, the, the people of God are, are peculiarly loving. In fact, right, John would say is that you'll know God's people by this, by their love for each other. Yeah. That's hard, isn't it? It, it? We forget all the time. We get too busy. Anybody in here too busy? Is anyone in here not too busy? Maybe that's the question. L- listen, we all have busy lives and, and maybe too busy, but, but if we don't have, really don't have time or the motivation to love each other, it's time to get before the Lord. I mean, it's time to get before Him and say, your love is supposed to change my love for people. And when it doesn't, we're not following Him well, right? Okay. Uh, Okay, so Christ's love compels us. But why? Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So what's He saying is is that the one, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, He laid down His life for us. And I'm so convinced of that. And he's so convinced that this was, this was, this was uh, Christ's motivation was out of love. He laid down his life for us. Yeah, he died for all, therefore all died, which is an interesting statement, isn't it? Basically saying that is because, because he died and all of our sins and all of our punishment was put upon him. 
he died for us in our place is what basically the, the gospel makes the case. Is this great work of the, it's the great exchange, right, of the, of, the, of the gospel is that we deserved death. And he died for us so we wouldn't have to. Oh, we deserve punishment for our sins. And he took on punishment on the cross. He, so, so he took on our punishment for our sins. And, what, and the great exchange is then what do we get? Brand new life. He, he lived a life that was righteous before God. So, so he died and we got his righteousness. He died the death we deserve and we gain his righteousness and the great exchange of the gospel, right? It is, he is, right, the God who came down from the mountain. He is the God who came down to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But listen to how it ends in verse 15 of this paragraph. And he died for all, that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. Listen, Christ's death, so powerful, such a statement. Every, you know, uh, what's that, uh, what's that, uh, What's that first Navy SEALs movie called? Y'all remember that? A guy, they're fighting terrorists. These guys trying to come into the United States. But real Navy SEALs made the movie. Act of Valor, thank you very much. Okay, you remember the story. You remember, right, they're going through, it's kind of the end of the movie, and you got this guy, he's a family guy, he's got kids at home, and in the end, there's a grenade rolls out, and he looks at his buddy, and what's he do? Right? So, so there's a grenade rolls out. They're in a small room. Everyone's about to be either really shot up or killed right, by, by the grenade, really shrapnelized or, or killed. I made that a verb. I don't know that it is one. But uh, it, it's going to be bad. And so he's the one who's a family man. He looks at his, at his buddy who they're, they're good friends with, and, and he looks at him, and he doesn't see the grenade. And so what? He knows what he's got to do. Right? He's got to lay his life down so that his buddy can live. Right? Every act of heroism... Every act that we find so motivating and so moving is done by the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he, he really is the hero by which every one of us emulates our behavior about, right? He, he really is the one who, out of love, sacrificed himself so that we may live, right? He really is. He is our hero. He is the one. He was the one who was innocent, who laid his life down for the guilty. He's the one who is the hero who laid his life down so that others may live, that being you and me. Amen. And the fact that he did it because of love, he didn't do it for his name. He didn't do it for his honor solely. He did it because of his love for us. And now, our motivation for living in this new life is that we might live for the one who died for us. Amen? God help us. All right. Um, I, I don't know. Am I going to do any better than that today? I don't, I don't think I am. I think maybe we're done. I was going to go on with the next paragraph, but, but let's stop there. Here's the... Um, you know what? We got to hit 17, though. Uh, yeah, let's. We got to hit 17. Holy, that's why I'm here today, really. So, um, so 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Okay. So what he's telling them here is that you guys in Corinth, you're looking at me, at Paul, and you're looking at other people through a worldly view. In other words, these other guys are coming in and they're trying to teach Judaism and they're trying to teach the beauty of Judaism and how great the Old Testament is and all the Old Testament stuff is. And, uh, and in the end, he says, you're judging people based on letters that you got about, you know, how great a speaker they are, about how knowledgeable they are. That, that's how you're going to judge your teachers. Um, 
And, uh, and Paul says, you, you know, we used, to do, we, we, we used to view Christ this way. We used to look at Christ and we used to look at, at his lowliness and his humanity and, and like the history and discovery channels, right? We used to look at him that way. We don't look at him that way anywhere. We look at him with spiritual eyes now because God has shown his light into our hearts that we might see the knowledge of the glory of Christ. Yeah, so now we recognize that in Christ is something more than a man. We recognize he is the way of salvation prepared by God. He is the one who was perfect, the only one who didn't owe a debt because he was sinless, the only one who could pay the debt of anyone else because he himself had none, that he could pay the debt that we owed, um, that we might receive forgiveness. We used to look at Christ that way, he says, but we don't anymore. And, and he says, and in likewise, we shouldn't look at each other in that way either. I, that's interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm, honestly, I don't know where Paul's headed here. I, but if, if the whole theme here of what he's teaching is that you, you can't judge people by their outward appearance and in a worldly way about how smart they are or what letters or what pedigrees they carry, and we have to judge them like we do Christ, that means we've got to judge them by spiritual eyes. In other words, we've got to see them as people who what, have treasure in clay jars. So I've got to recognize that in people, yeah, they're more than what they seem on the outside. When I look at a believer, they're more than just the fallen, human, common person that I see before me. Inside them, God is doing something miraculous, extraordinary. And he says, and you guys can't look at us the way that you used to, in a, in a worldly way. You've got to look at us in a, in a, in a glory way. I, that's challenging to me. When I read that this week, I, I, was just, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, what does that mean exactly by implication to us? I think what it means is that we've got to be careful how we look at each other, right? And, and we've got to be careful not to nitpick each other's faults much, right? But to bear with each other, which is what Paul writes in other places, right, several times. But, it, to, but to bear with each other and recognize that, I know that you're sinful, and you know that I'm sinful, and you know that I know that I have still struggled with sin issues, and, and I know that you struggle still with sin issues. But the truth is, is that God's doing something extraordinary in the life of a believer. Amen. I was taking my uh, taking the uh, uh, Christian counseling, biblical counseling course that you guys were so gracious to pay for me for. One of the things that he talked about, he says, when you when you counsel someone, someone, you're going to become aware of hundreds of sins. How about that? Usually they recommend three to five sessions. He said, in that time, you meet for 45 minutes. He said, you're going to become aware in their life of hundreds of sins. So what do you do? I mean, you just start making a list and you say, man, you got to go work on all this. No, no listen, was, was that the hope ever? Was, was that we ourselves would be able to stamp out sin in our own lives? Would we do it, be able to do it away with it all? No, my, man, my hope is in faith in Jesus Christ because I, I got nothing else, right? You what you got? I got nothing else. Um, the truth is there's going to be transformation in our lives. The truth is there's going to be more of a transformation where we look more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. But the truth is, in this body, I will never fully overcome sin, right? That separates us maybe from some other denominations in, in that belief. But, but in this body, I don't expect to ever overcome sin. Now, I do expect to grow in holiness, Amen. I, I do expect that, that, that God would change my view and my heart toward things that, that are idols to me and, and would, would draw my heart more to Him and less toward things that are idols. That's too much for today, isn't it? I'm sorry. Let's just go on. Okay, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Oh, boy, the power of this verse. I tell you what. Here we go. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation. I, I looked up, I, I've looked up several commentaries on, on what this says, and basically, I, it can't be overstated. What he's saying here is there's something totally brand new, something totally different that wasn't there before, that now is in existence. So when Jesus Christ comes into a man or a woman's life and he comes into their heart and he, and he, and, but he sends his Holy Spirit to indwell them, that didn't exist before that moment. That's right. That, that, that didn't exist before this time. And, boy, the mystery of all that, the, the majesty of all that, just more than I can express, especially when I'm out of time today. But um, it, it's more than I can tell you. And so what he's saying is, at that moment, something happened in your life that would change you forever. Amen? And, and fortunately, and thank God too, and it changes our destiny forever. Amen? Uh, I'm not headed the direction I was headed before. You're not headed the direction you were headed before if you find yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've come to faith in Him, you are a new creation. And look, he just he, he tries to spell it out here in, 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 in just really, he kind of repeats himself. The, so what his new creation means? He says, the old has gone and the new has come. There's something brand new in your life and it is life changing. And, and I love that. What he's talking about here in 3, 4, and 5, especially in chapters four, 3, 4, and 5, is the effect of the gospel in the life of the believer. So I know, you know, most of you are really mighty white like me and a little stiff neck, a little stiff collared, right? Stiff collared is what I meant, not stiff necked. This time, next time I'll call you stiff necked. Um, but today, <laughs> but today I'll call you stiff collared. We should all jump up and shout and run around in circles. I mean, this is good news, isn't it? What's happened for us is the destiny that we had, and, and we're, the next verse is going to talk about the reconciliation that God did. He reconciled us through Jesus Christ. That reconciliation word means exchanged. In other words, he took, and, and we were once enemies of God, and he exchanged the enmity or the hatred or the anger and the wrath that God had against us, and he exchanged it for peace with God and love with God and invited us into his family. I've given you too much to think about today. Listen, I just need to wrap it up. Um, so so let, me, let me wrap it up this way. Um, you, you're, you're made new. If you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are brand new. And I don't know how, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord now, what he did for you in that day when you came to belief and faith and salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's changed you forever. Now, in this body, in this life, it is a painfully slow process that we call sanctification. But the hope is, is that by faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to see it through. And all these other little problems one day, they're all gone, right? right? We have misunderstandings. We have sin in our lives. We have other problems. But man, light momentary troubles, right, is what, what Paul writes about in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, I think. Uh, where he says, light and momentary troubles. I know they're overwhelming. I know. But the truth is, let that underwhelm you and let this overwhelm you. You have been made new. Amen. 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 Thank God. I, I needed that. You? Man, I, I need that bad. I, I need that bad. Uh, so uh, anyway, so let me close like this. Would you close your eyes with me? and l- Let me just pray over us here for just a moment. Heavenly Father, Lord, we get so caught up sometimes in the, in the things that we're bad at and the things that we struggle with, and, and, and we do need to pay those things attention. We, we want to work out our salvation just, like, you're, just like, uh, like, like the Apostle Paul told us we needed to. Uh, but at the same time, Lord, we're not defeated by them. 
you will have victory, just like we sang today, we, in Arzella's favorite song here, uh, we have victory in the Lord Jesus. He's done something in our lives that has changed us forever. And you're bringing about a transformation in our lives, even now, that's just going to continue um, in, the, in the afterlife. And we're so grateful for that, Lord God. We're so grateful for sending your son. We're so grateful for this message of the gospel, of the glory of, of Jesus Christ. And, and so thankful, Lord God, that you've taught us that, and shown us that, that he's not just a man. He's not just a good teacher. Um, he's not just a powerful figure. He's not just someone who died um, there in, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He is a savior. He's a redeemer. Uh, he, is the, he is the key to, <laughs> to all knowledge and all wisdom. And in him we have life. In him we have a new beginning. In him, him, him we are a new creation. And so, Father, I pray your people this week here at Calvary, just let us be encouraged by this news. Let us, be, let, let us take things in perspective and help us to recognize and realize that, that the problems that we face today can't douse the joy that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your work in us, Lord. Continue it. Help us. And, and Father, where we've dropped the ball and we've stopped following you well in some areas that you want to you be perfecting us in, Lord, help us, help us to, to, to see your desire for us is to be transformed, is to live the new life that you've given us. Um, help us to be faithful in that. It's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Y'all have a great week.